Hi, I'm Luke Campbell and I work for a small wine company and he's Luke Morris and... I've really been enjoying the World Cup. Yes, and together we are Luke's Talk Wine, talking about all things wine and booze, sometimes popular culture, including the World Cup, and thinking about when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day, Campbell. Uh, 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 what's what's plans? What's cracking? What's going on? It's all happening. It has been the World Cup. It is the World Cup, and we are still in World Cup. Topic, actually, is in your wheelhouse rather than mine, and it is Spanish white wines and the wines that we drink differently. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. And there's a really great listener question here, which from Anita. Anita's obviously thinking... And she says, Anita says, the listener question says, first part, should I have a go-to wine? Second part, if I take a bottle of wine to a party, should I expect it to be opened? <laughs> <laughs> ah, good question, Anita. We'll raise that. And then we, if we've got time, we'll, and if we cover it throughout the uh, afternoon, we will talk about what we have been drinking. But as always, and like every other week, we ask the big questions, and that is, Luke Morris, what has been happening in your wine world this week, pal? I, I don't know if this is wine world. I don't, but um, uh, yeah, the World Cup's been on, and I was just thinking, like, Australia got knocked out by Spa, uh, Argentina, and that's like the world of wine because uh, Argentina is taking over the 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 price point demographics that Australia used to try and target yep. in the in the in the international wine world. Um, uh, Germany's out, which is disappointing for the Spatsburgunder lovers around the world, but that's they're gone. Uh, yeah, Italy didn't even make it, which is probably just a representation of how much people like their wine. Um, <laughs> you've got who's left? We've got um, North Korea. The, Japan, Croatia, they're not big wine people. That they can't win. South Korea. South Korea is not a big wine country. Spain uh, Brazil isn't. You got Morocco versus Spain. Yeah, well there's there's a couple of uh, wine heavyweights right there. Does Morocco make wine? Yeah, oh, yeah. A puff teeth, but Spain Spain makes heaps, obviously. Yeah. So who we got as as a wine as a wine consumer, who 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 do you want to win the World Cup? Portugal, Switzerland, France. Yeah, France. France. France has the bigger wine cred over England, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Netherlands, Argentina. So you got France, Argentina, Portugal, Spain, Morocco. They're probably the big wine people left. Yep. Where would you go? Yeah. What, say that. Say that again. Not Switzerland. So, yeah. So if Australia out of the World Cup, you got to choose somebody else. If you go by wine, wine, wine terms, France, Argentina, Portugal, Spain, or Morocco's fifteenth. Give them, give them a, a, a mine. We'll, we'll include them in the uh, real. Yeah. You, you know what? Like after. Um... And this is semi-related. After last week's show, we were talking about Big Reds and Giriff and the Argentine Malbecs and Chilean Carmeniers. Um, I actually went went out um, and a bottle of 
bottle of Malbec from Mendoza fell into my lap, actually, off one of the local retail independent bottle stores. And so I'm going to go with Argentina. I had it, uh, and I had it with a um, had it with a piece of pork, like a pork loin, and crackly, and oh, it was just fantastic. So I'm, I'm in a bit of an Argentine mood, so I'm going to go with Argentina. Really? Yeah. The, 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 are they your favorite favorite wine country at the moment from that list? Yep, from that list, they are. They really yeah. are. Because I always imagine Argentina as well, not imagine, but the the wines that have been taking over a lot of the bargain basement bins where, where Australian sunshine in a bottle wines used to take over and now being replaced with the Argentinian Malbec and Cabernets. Um, and, and that's probably the problem that Australia had actually internationally was that they targeted and, and did so well the cheap stuff that the reputation was just that's what they make. They make bulk cheap wine. And... That's sort of what my impression of Argentina was, that they made a lot of bulk cheap wine. That's oh, wrong, obviously, but... They make some good wines. Yeah. yeah not, good... not all of them are bargain basement. I mean, there's some incredible bargain basement wines coming out of Argentina because a lot of the fruit is young and they're investing, you know, plenty of coin in the, the development and the infrastructure of wine production, but... So you're getting, you're still getting a bargain, but you're right. There, there's some, there is some bargain basements, but there is also some brilliant top-flight wine coming out of Argentina. Yeah, I think they've got some good cab, um, cab francs as well from memory, and some good chardonnay. Yep, yep, yes yeah. to both of those, absolutely. I think, I think if 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 you'd ask me, which you haven't, but I'm going to put in anyway, uh, yeah. Portugal. I think I'd, I'd go down the Portugal wheel. Spain, Spain, obviously close both in terms of uh, location and styles, but uh, Portugal, I just find that they're always really fun and interesting wines. Ah, uh, yeah. You're not keen, but I am. No, but like we, we've had this conversation before. What um, when when you get to Portugal, they start doing all funky field blends and the white blends yeah. and stuff like that. They are actually pretty good, you know, quite chalky and things like that. They're actually very distinctive and very delicious if you get across. And what's that, um, the, the green wine they made? Vino Verde. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Inexpensive and delicious. Vino Verde, way to go. And then up north they get Alvarinho. Not Alvarinho, but Alvarinho. <laughs> That's Sorry. good. Is that, that's uh, I assume that's a close singling wine. Yeah, it is. I think it's exactly the same. It's just phonetically pronounced very differently, and they spell it differently as well. They spell it, they actually spell it with a V. Huh. Yeah, there you go. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there. See the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. Leading leading perfectly, actually, from Portugal, uh, where, where the Duro meets the Duero and becomes Spain, this week's topic is, in fact, just like that, two meeting of the minds. 
and his Spanish white wines. And on the back of us drinking differently and drinking diversely, uh, I actually I had a Fiano during the week, and I thought, what about <laughs> some of those? What are, you know, you, you, we, we've spoken about Italian whites, Falangina and Pecorino and the like on the show before, but we haven't spoken, Luke Morris, about Spanish white wines. Lay it on me. I know you love your Spanish wines. Lay it on oh. me. What have you got? Oh, yeah. All I can think of, though, is the uh, the white Rioja. I think that's uh, Vadeo. Um, oh, yeah, white Rioja. So, um, yeah, white Rioja is... Um, is it Badeo? It's very tasty, uh, yeah. if you can find it. Um, I yeah, obviously, it... everyone plants the red stuff, and that's more popular. But, yeah. What, what, what other? There's not a lot of white that comes out of Spain. It's probably a bit like think, trying to remember all the whites that come out of the Barossa, reasoning aside. Yeah, well, I mean, there is, um, yeah, yeah, Vadeo, obviously, come out of Spain, um, you know, Grenache Blanc comes out of Spain. There's some stonking. Oh, yeah, Grenache Blanc. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's some fantastic wine. Yeah, I've really seen, um, particularly in Australia, I've seen it come to life. Just in the last year, I've had a couple of really tasty Grenache Blancs. In in fact, um, this year for one of our Christmas clients, and you won't mind me saying this, we did a Grenache pack, which included... Um, a Grenache Blanc as well as a Grenache Rouge for um, one of our favourite clients at Vinified. It was really, really great, actually, because um, uh, Grenache Blanc can give you that. It loves oak. It'll give you that beautiful, deep, exotic vanillas and coconut and cinnamon notes, but it'll also give you pear and stone fruit. Yeah, Grenache Blanc, we can't forget about that. No, uh, absolutely. You- I reckon you, you're talking – when you talk about that, you're talking about – Something that's uh, just a, a a shade off Chardonnay, mm. in a, in a lot of in a lot of camps. But I, you know, I think people have are quite ABC about Chardonnay at the moment. Mm. Uh, anything but I I reckon I, I reckon Grenache Blanc. If anybody out there doesn't mind a white wine and likes something that's got a, a bit of palate weight to it, one hundred percent. If you don't try Grenache Blanc in your life, you're your life is hollow. You have you have missed the boat. The boat has set sail, and you do not know what life really is. <laughs> whack, whackity whack whack. <laughs> get some, get some, get some GB into you. Fair call, Rightio. No, it's um, it is a good call. It's um, underutilized Grenache Blanc. I agree. But the other, the other great variety you mentioned, often forgotten, having grown up in the Hunter, I, I love it. But um. Badejo and or, or Badillo as we call it here. Yep. Uh, originally from the island of Madeira, but it grows in these kind of, um, you know, it's a lighter body, pale color, but intensely aromatic. Has huge amounts of fruit. It grows in the Rueda uh, in Spain. They blend it with all sorts of stuff, but actually on its own, it's just this kind of all about you know grapefruit and citrus and lemon curd. Uh, Vadeos are often inexpensive and they come from anywhere, you know, that central Spain, Rueda, Castella Leon, um, you know, but just yummy, yummy lemon and lime type stuff. No oak, they usually don't use a lot of oak in, in mm-hmm. Vadeo. Um, yeah, I, I, I love a good Vadeo actually. Um, I mean, you've just piqued my interest 
haven't seen any for a while, but um, all good. There's a couple floating around. Yeah. Um, I remember trying to sell some to people who drink Sav Blanc to sort of say, try that instead, just for just for a little bit of, I don't know, peak, look, look around the world a little bit rather than just using the Sav Blanc. I had one customer tell me uh, I was completely wrong and an idiot. They didn't <laughs> like it at all. And another customer loved it and bought more. So it's there's going to be something that I think people, if you, if if you don't mind uh, a, a change in life and uh, need an aromatic white, yeah, Vidalia. If you if you can find some, like Campbell said, they're not not the widest, most popular wines in the world, Spanish whites. But you know, I, I some of the, my favourite whites are Portuguese whites. I don't I don't I don't know why the Spanish stuff's sort of sort of hard to, to, to get past some pallets. You know, I, I don't know why either. I, um, you know, I, I just think there's much to be, because I actually really like one of, one of my favourite white wines, and you're starting to see a heap of it here now, um, more so than ever before, is Godello. Uh, and Godello kind of ages like Semyon. It grows like Semyon. Right, there well. you go. There's the, the, something I've never heard of, but Campbell will definitely find something that tastes or sounds like Semyon. <laughs> Well, you know me. I do love it. It's like a bloodhound. He's just on a (laughs) nose to the ground trying to find anything that's got some sort of semi character. And Godello is generally quite rich, but it starts its life quite fine. They do age it in oak, but it gets out those kind of ginger and, um, you know, hot apple, honey scent to it. It's, yeah, just awesome with seafood, anything, you know, with your baked fish or just even some, you know, oysters, Kilpatrick or something outstanding. Um, But even a lemony pasta would work well with Godello. Um, Yeah, just Valdioras. It's grown in the high country in central Spain um, or or actually Valdioras is in the north, north northwestern corner. Valdiorez, and they grow the white they grow there is Godello. The red they grow is Mencia, M E N C I A, which is also worth a check out. But we're talking about Spanish whites today. What else you, <laughs> what else you got, Luke Morris? Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I can't think of any any other whites off the top of my head. Anything else I can think of that's that's white that comes out of Spain is also uh, uh, aged in a cask for a very long time and comes from the south, so it's from the south of Spain. Oh yeah, sherry, sherry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or as a, as a, as as it's referred to since October twenty two, Marco de Jerez. Um, what are you talking about? What's this? What? What's happened? <laughs> well, what happened in October twenty twenty two? So since since um the twenty second of October this year, the the Juarez J E R E de la frontera the provenance the provenance which was sherry country has now been redefined as marco de jerez which is, and it's no longer just producing fortified wines it's now after 1600 years if you don't mind umpire allowed to produce still white wine as well as sherry so their production has trebled uh, and the size of the area has also burgeoned and they're now producing still white wines from Palomino and other grape varieties, uh, as well as sherry. But up until now, 
you uh, haven't been allowed to do that. So there's been big, big changes. And the decree literally was finalised uh, by the 22nd of October this year. But that's probably a whole another program. <laughs> so do, do we still use the word sherry? Well, I, I haven't really got to the bottom of it, actually, because my contact um, on this All Things Sherry has actually been in Spain on the ground, and I haven't had a real... I've been following across Twitter, and you can find mm. me on, on Twitter, at vinified underscore if you're there, uh, talking all things wine. And, and I've been doing a little bit of research when I'm not uh, wrangling wines and aged wines out of cellars and, and three kids uh, and an amazing wife. I've been doing a little bit of research myself and it's I haven't fully got to the bottom, but I don't think we can call it sherry anymore, Luke Morris. I, I don't but if think they're, so. they, they're not using... So it's not like uh, a notification like the word champagne. It's a notification about the uh, legalities of what people in sherry can produce for themselves. Yes. Sounds right. like... Sounds like a tickety boo of still using the word sherry, particularly because they don't actually use the word sherry; they use they, uh, spelt differently and pronounced differently. Yes, they they that's right. They use they usually use the denomination and, and more so where it's from. The sherry was almost that overarching uh, term, but I, I think it's all but's gone. Um, but yeah, maybe that's a little bit of homework for me. I think it's all about gone from people's cellars or, or or wine cabinets anyway. I think Don't we're talking about sherry with some sort of glossy eye that uh, nobody else listening to us really gives a crap about. Don't get scared off, people. Still drink sherry. It's beautiful. Still drink sherry. You've got to get them to start. It's stuck in. Get stuck into sherry, people. Don't don't be scared. McGuigan's uh, cask flagons are only 10 bucks a, a, a flagon, mate. Get, get into them. What's holding you back? Um, if we had real-time feedback here uh, and if we were live to the world, someone would have said the greatest Spanish white wine of all, which you and I have both forgotten to mention, actually, and I can't believe we've forgotten to mention it, is Albarino, of course, which is the star of Riach Bacrash in Galicia, up in the north northwestern corner. We forgot about it. How could we forget that? I don't know. Um I was yeah. trying to, I, I remembered it, but I was trying to think. I thought because it's so close to Portugal, my brain kept flicking. No, it's Portuguese. Don't be an idiot and say, oh, Bruno. And then my brain was like, no, isn't it? Isn't it? No, Campbell will pick it up. Just let Campbell fix it. If, if, if I'm, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> no, don't, don't leave it up to me. Heaven help us. <laughs> but Albarino, Albarino is probably one of the most uh, famous of the Spanish whites and certainly the most aromatic. It's pale yellow. It's light to medium body dish it's got it's famous for its zingy zingy acid and it's just all about that kind of pink grapefruit balanced by the fruity aromas of oh what what kind of aromas like rock melon what would you think mori um albarino uh shellfish eat it with shellfish eat yeah. it with uh grilled fish eat it with uh chips out of a packet eat it with uh uh, just um, good company. Good company is smile. I'm all about it. Yeah, you, you'll, you'll love it. Orange resin, pink grapefruit, melon. Just get in. It's delicious. Albarino. How can we forget Albarino? Um, Spanish white wine. So yeah, choose something different this summer. You know, and have a crack. Uh, I, 
as I mentioned, what took me down this bent this week was I drank a Fiano from Italy. We've spoken about uh, the idiosyncratic whites of Italy uh, and today's Spain's turn, but just get get amongst it. Try something different. Godello, Alberino, do drop, do try sherry. Get in there. Um, Grenache Blanc, get amongst it. It is um, they're out there, people. They're out there. Hey, Luke Morris, I've got a good one for you. Do, do you have, this is probably not a question for you, but Anita writes with a two-part question today, the listener <laughs> question. Yeah. She, writes, she writes from Canterbury. I'm not sure if it's Canterbury Bankstown in New South Wales or Canterbury here in Victoria. Either way, Anita writes, should I have a go-to wine? Question mark. Second part of the question. If I take a bottle of wine to a party, should I expect to open it? Boom. Do you want to uh, let us Go to wine. I don't know. I don't know about that. I think you know, a lot of people probably go to wine is Bros or Shiraz, and that's you know, okay. But I'm, I, I think you and I are probably in the ballpark of what am I eating? Where am I going? What's the weather like? You know, you yeah. you, you you take a whole lot more into consideration than just should I have just one wine that I go to all the time? No, um, drink diversely. Buy something. Yeah. Buy something out of your wheelhouse. We've discussed this on, you know, when back in episode 13, was it, when we were talking about buying a gift or how to buy a wine at an independent retail? You, you, you shouldn't have a go-to wine. You should be considered, you should have a where-to-go wine. So where are you going? That's the wine. <laughs> so well, Anita, my, I think no, maybe, maybe the question is more about, you know, do, do, is there something that you should have that you feel safe ordering all the time? Yes. Or buying all the time. And that's a safety question, but I guess that's also a really personal independent question. So it's hard to... Yes. But, but spoiler alert, for Luke and I, it's Riesling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I saw some mesh, mesh on the shelf the other day. Mess Riesling, yeah. haven't seen that for a while. Yeah. Gosh, that, was it. That, yeah. that, that took me back. I, uh, I catalogued a seller recently and there was some, some of that um, mesh... From the 2009 vintage, which oh, you can wow. here in Victoria, it was Black Saturday, and I finished. I did the Barossa vintage, and it was was hotter than the Demon Rising in the Barossa as well. Um, so I, I looked at it, and I thought, I wonder what it was like in the Clare, and I looked up the average temperature during harvest in Clare, and it, the average temperature in the Clare Valley during harvest was 38 degrees. So if you think it was any cooler in the Clare Valley, ba-bow. <laughs> Crumbs. Yeah. I wonder so. if that was the year that um, I remember Jacob's Creek left a few million dollars worth of fruit unpicked, just just fruit, not not counted in any other way, but fruit unpicked on the, on the vines because by the time they were getting the uh, harvesters out to them, there was a shaking syrup. There was... Like they were so weathered, they they were just too dry to uh, to be able to actually pick fruit. Yeah, I was just trying to pick raisins. Mm. But uh, this is all off topic. What what are we talking about? Uh, go to <laughs> wine. Oh, should somebody open up a wine that you bring as a gift? Uh, yeah. Answer to that question is um, yes and no. No, <laughs> if they have already got wine there. Yes, if they've got nothing. How about that? I really, I really, th this is a question that comes up 
I see this a bit because we do a lot of personal collections at Vinified. And if you want to know a little bit more about what I do at Vinified, so our website is on the W's at vinified.com.au. You can have a look at what we actually do. But so this this comes up because we catalog a lot of personal collections. What do I do? Or should should I be expected to open the wine? Well, there's a couple of things. If you're taking the wine and you want to give it as a gift, then no, you shouldn't be expected to drink it. Um, but if you're taking a wine... Oh, I'm going to go give somebody two tickets to a show. They better take me along. I better be the second person they take. No, it's a gift. Gift. Alternatively, if they, if they say, bring, bring, don't bring anything and you bring a wine, again, I don't think you should be... I, I don't think you should expect to have it open. I'm a big one for being being a sommelier, but you could use this one too, take it or leave it. Is I'm a big one for what are you cooking? I'll bring something to match the food and I bring oh, something. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that opened? be like a very leading sort of, I'll bring you a gift. What are you cooking? I'll bring something that matches that. Yeah. So not not necessarily a gift, but if you want to take a wine that you Definitely want, to... not a gift in that scenario. <laughs> no, it's not a gift, but but she... Anita doesn't mention the word gift, but oh. she says if I take a bottle of wine to a dinner party, should I expect it to be opened? And the the two the two alternatives are if you're oh, taking okay. it as a gift, no, but if you're taking it to be part of the party, um, yes, yeah, you should be. But the way to insert yourself into the story is say, oh, I'll contribute, I'll bring a bottle of wine. What are you cooking? I'll match the wine to it. Yep. Or alternatively, you could just start with the wine and say, look, this is a special wine. I've already decanted it, which I'm a big one for. Um, I'll decant it in the morning, open it and take it and say, this is going to go excellent. This Mendoza Carmenere is going to go really well with that aged ribeye piece of beef. Let's go. Um yeah, the conversation way. really gets uh, uh, shorted if you open the bottle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, turn up with a with a cork sticking out, or the or the whole thing in a um, in a bit of Tupperware container. <laughs> Any type of larger vessel that's open and breathing. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that's a that's a couple of handy tips from the the pros about how to get around that um little quandary. It is a little bit about etiquette, and so just kind of just just think um, what you're trying to achieve there. Uh, if you're taking a bottle to a party, are you contributing, uh, enhancing the party, or are you taking a gift? If you're taking a gift, the short answer is no. You shouldn't expect it to be opened. Uh, if you're contributing to the party, that is a whole nother kettle of fish. <laughs> I love cooking fish in a kettle. Oh, yeah, don't we all? Hey, uh, Luke Morris, what have you been drinking? Um, quick question. So this, is this episode 19 or something? This is episode 19, season three. So we have got one more to go. And next week, I haven't told you this, but no. I have done it. He's done it. I have located a bottle of Goundry Unwooded Chardonnay, and you and I are going to taste it live on air coming at you. Oh, dear. I mean, Yay. That's exciting. Um, speaking of really experimental, unusual wines, uh, what, what, what's, where did you get the Goundry from? 
um, I won't say a, a reputable retailer, but a oh, retailer. Oh, so Dan Murphy's then. <laughs> I, did, I didn't mention they're not, they're not reputable. <laughs> I didn't mention any large or small uh, or even larger retailer. Why uh, do you ask grasshopper? <laughs> oh, I was, just, I was just curious. Did you have to track it down? Like, um, did you hire somebody and they charged you, you know, an hourly rate to uh, do some investigations? Did yeah, you get no, an auction house? I had to track it down. Don't worry about that. Uh, cool. No, what have I been drinking? So, um, what I have on the weekend, I got given this. I didn't get given it actually. I. I I, I I donated some money to charity and 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 then somebody gave me a bottle of wine because I was they they because of that. Uh, Kaleski, we we talked about uh, biodynamic grapes recently. Yeah, and yeah. I got given this bottle of Planaris. Oh, I don't know that from Kaleski. So the ingredients list. So it's listed as ingredients. 100% certified biodynamic grapes, single vineyard Viognier grapes, wild fermented, uh, on skins for eight days, matured in hogsheads for 10 months, bottled, unfiltered, unfined, naturally cloudy, no sulfites. Wow. That, that was the one. Somebody did ask me when, when I gave, they gave him this. They were like, the maturity in hogsheads? Why? 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 It's like it's no, it's a, it's a type of barrel. They didn't cut a pig's head open and stick it in there. Um, that was an interesting wine. Yeah. And me and my friend just defined it as um, uh, it was like a, a a bit of a quirky spinster, you know the. the Maybe live alone, but wears big dresses, colourful hair. Probably works as a tarot card reader. You know, good to have at a party, but you're not really sure what they're doing there. <laughs> like it, it, it was a wine that was just it. It had things that were all familiar about it, but then just all sort of different at the same time, and like. Good, different until you started thinking is tarot cards really good? You know, this quirky is different, but are they uh, do we accept that in society or is that just cheating people out of their hard earned money? What do we what do we like about this? I really like the wine. We drank it fairly quickly because every time you had some, you're like, what is what is that? Someone said he actually said it was a bit like a um, an orange sour beer. You know? Ooh. No, I don't know, but yeah. my my eyebrows are raised. No, I'd, I'd I recommend it. Uh, just don't don't recommend it if you're looking for something clean and crisp and refreshing on a hot day at the cricket. It's more of a uh, uh, I don't know. It's not it's not clean and crisp, but it's very interesting. It's like a, it is a it is a red wine drinker's white wine because it's. It's got some, it's got some something, something weighty about it. Without it being, you know, heavy oak Chardonnay, it's good. I yeah. liked it. It was different. Oh, yeah. Wow. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I 
went off on a little tangent last week, just looking at the bigger wines. We spoke about Jurif and Zinfandel and Malbecs and Carmenieres and the like. And actually, I was in a bottle shop and a bottle of kind of Zaccardi Malbec made its way into my arms. And it was just this <laughs> beautiful, full-bodied, purple, juicy thing. Straight Malbec all the way from Argentina, but just just textural and deep. And just to use your analogy, this would be the the deep thinkers Rodin sculpture of Malbec. It was quite complex. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was quite complex and quite deep. And it just put me into this really kind of pensive mode. We were sharing a whole fillet of beef and some chimichiri and some salad and the meal itself wasn't that complicated but the wine was it was like there was there was oak there was smatterings of earth there was bucket loads of fruit fruit to bound um and just pepper and structural palate it was just you know it was the it wasn't a dude at a party it was the dj and the volume was at <laughs> 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 it was epic um you know it was about it was about it was all of 22 bucks um just full bodied and dry and just yeah volume at 11 I, I absolutely loved it and it was on the back of uh you and I just talking about all things big and and Jurif and Zinfandels and I thought you know what I haven't drunk anything like that for ages um and yeah this uh Mendoza Malbec fell into my arms and it was Utterly delicious. Good stuff. Mendoza, Melbourne. The Mendoza's the region. What's, who's, who's the producer? Yeah, the producer was uh, Zaccardi, a, a family. Zaccardi. Yeah, I'd not heard of them. Uh, a fairly big producer when I did look them up. Uh, you know, obviously got a bit of money. They used new and old French oak. Um, yeah, you know, like so been around for a while. They make, you know, they make a reserver, a top one that's been aged for five years. They make a a blend the entry level one for 15 bucks or whatever. This is the one right in the middle. Um, yeah. Cool veins. No, good. All right. That's terrific. Well, he's been Luke Morris. I've been Luke Campbell. We are Luke's Talk Wine. We've only mentioned Riesling once this week. We'll be back next week for a season three, episode 20. We'll be unveiling uh, the top wines in our Hottest 100, which was an epic fail, but we will reveal them to you all the same. And we're going to taste for the final time this year uh, what we believe to be one myth and one legend of the Australian wine industry, and that is the Goundry Unwooded Chardonnay. Two we're bringing things it back. in the one bottle, yeah. Things in the one bottle. We're bringing it back and we're tasting it live on air with you next week. But in the words of Tony Barber, Keep smiling and bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellar's specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine.
www.finified.com.au.